Hi, and thanks for downloading the second part of the STI in Antiquity, uh, including contraception, podcast. You're listening to part two. We overran a bit. We had a lot to talk about, so we decided to split it in two sections rather than an unmanageable and quite loathsome one massive podcast. So say hello, Emma. Hello, Emma. Exactly. We're both here, and we're going to talk in this second podcast about the continuation of diseases, uh, STIs, STDs, and also about the contraception that was available in ancient times. So if you haven't already, listen to part one. If you have listened to part one, well, well done. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy part two as much as we did making it. Anyway, we'll go now. So listen up. Hi, and welcome back. We've looked at two of the major contenders for STIs or STDs in, in antiquity. And now we're sort of turning our attention to a few of the lesser proven ones and also having a little debate or a little discussion about syphilis which often gets raised <laughs> or gets crowbarred into discussions on STIs, STDs in antiquity. I just want to start with urethritis because I mentioned it earlier and it seems that it's it's one of those, I'll call it, is it a disease or an infection? Is a... Well I'm going to explain that in a second. Yeah okay, <laughs> it's one of those and the the issue with it of course is that it mimics or seems to mimic a number of different diseases or, or infections or can do there was a general problem that Hippocrates refers to and he he sort of mentions about how you know chaps are having problems when they're weeing you see it elsewhere there's an earlier early reference to it and the Eber papyrus again it's mid 16th century BC and the solution was for an <clears throat> an intraurethral application of sandalwood oil which just sounds I mean, intraurethral means it's going down your penis. Yeah. So that's probably not very pleasant. No, I don't think that would be. So urethritis is more of a a condition than anything else. I see. Um, It is the inflammation of the urethra. Which, yeah. Generally, these days, it's associated with either sexually transmitted infections or catheterisation. Obviously, if you're putting anything down the urethra, the chances are it's going to be sensitive well, it is sensitive. It's going to affect it in some sense. So the majority of urethritis these days are either yeah to do with catheterization, which, as you said just there, and um, we'll come on to this I think in a later episode when we talk about things, medical things that were invented. Yeah, we want to do as I mentioned earlier. We, we do want to do because we did a bunch load of research, and sometimes when you're you're doing a podcast, something I've I'm it's a very steep learning curve. Uh, I hope you appreciate that. And something that's become abundantly obvious to me is my timings are just so out the window. <laughs> I, I sat down, we sat down and we, we thought, okay, this is my plan or these were my ideas for just one section. And this podcast was just going to be one section of a larger podcast. And then we looked at it and uh, Emma and her best teacher voice brought me up quite quickly and said, this, this, this is just, a, there's a lot here. And We're, you knew that I was going to talk loads about it. As yeah, well. and I thought it was a really good idea because in, in reality, I was going to say, I don't have to do as much talking. That's true, I get to do a lot of talking. Which, which is, is just better for everyone, better my for me. Fav- my favourite thing as well. Better for you, better <laughs> for, the, for the listener. As my students will tell you, if I can talk about diseases, I will talk about Particularly diseases. Particularly sexual diseases, it would seem. Absolutely. STIs, Absolutely. That or rabies, but we're going to come on to that. R- r- yeah, we do have rabies, <laughs> in fact... Is, is a terrifying 
uh, instance of rabies when we look at Roman baths. And I, I remember finding it and then running hands aloft. But let's not aloft. spoil ourselves. You did yeah. come running hands aloft to me asking me whether it was true. But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another yeah. time. So yeah, as I was saying, urethritis tends to be caused by urinary tract infections, which can be caused by sexually transmitted infections, but they can also occur naturally, normally. Um, yeah, catheterization definitely could cause uh, urethritis. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No no. No question about that. Although I think any long-term urethritis would probably be more down to SDIs because if something's gone down your urethra, whether you're male or female, and then has to come out again, that is going to irritate it. And that in itself would cause urethritis. That would be not very nice. It would be uncomfortable. It would hurt for you to wee. If the inside of your, your penis or your urethra as a woman is damaged, it is going to hurt to urinate. Huh. Um, I think in men, if they haven't been catheterized, the chances are it would be a sexually transmitted infection. UTIs in women and men aren't equivocal, really. Men don't tend to get UTIs as much as women, and it's all to do with the way the bacteria... The bacteria likes to hitch onto the urethra and then kind of work its way up. And urethra are much longer in men than women, and urination or any kind of flow of anything will knock the bacteria off quite often. So they need to hook in, they need to embed in, and they need to stay in there. In addition to that, women's urethras can be damaged in just normal sex and that can cause UTIs which can then cause urethritis as well men don't tend to get UTIs down to normal sex whereas women do again it's down to the length of the urethra and sex can cause movement of bacteria up both urethras but more likely up women's urethras than men's because obviously stuff is coming out of men during sex usually Mm. Um, particularly if you've got gonorrhea (laughs) yes more so if you've got the gonorrhea the other thing is that the most common causes of UTIs um, is a bacteria called Escherichia coli, E. coli, which lives quite nicely in the, the um, anal region. It can breed quite nicely in the area between the, the anus and the, the genitals generally. Mm. But again, during sex with women can have the E. coli transported from one area to another. Whether they're having anal sex or not, it can still happen. And sometimes if women, and excuse me if this is a bit TMI for anyone, but if women wipe the wrong way when they, after they've been to the toilet, they can get E. coli transferred from their back to their front, oh, okay. which can then cause a, a UTI as well, which can then go on to, to cause urethritis. That said, all of that said, we've already seen that gonorrhea can cause urethritis. And also there is a bacteria which causes um, UTIs in women that is sexually linked. And this is where I have fun saying this because this is a great one. It's um, Staphylococcus saprophyticus. I think I said that right. Staphylococcus saprophyticus. That's better. Um, which is causes infections that cause urethritis in sexually active young women especially. The co- main complication of urethritis in terms of a UTI way, or it can be depending on the, the STI as well, is spread to the kidneys, an infection of the kidneys. Again, I looked at some of uh, Hippocrates' case, cases. I looked at uh, some interesting reading. If you ever get the chance, I think it was Epidemics, read them there. There's some quite interesting ones. And he, he often, he's looking at the urine, um, the urine and, and checking out. And he mentions sometimes about black urine, Ooh. kidney infections and things like that, or pain, mm. pain in the kidney. So uh, black urine would, would, note, would be likely a very bad kidney infection because right. you'd think that would be old blood so we're looking here that there is there's plenty of source material where it's indicated that 
there is problems uh, men have problems um, urinating and the like mm. there's also a fair bit of sources particularly I said in Hippocrates I imagine if you were to go through Celsius you'd see a, a fair bit there about similar symptoms I think we can say that urethritis is something that would have been an occurrence if you've got a, a collection of humans you've probably got <laughs> urethritis at yeah, some point but I do think that any of the mentions of it in men it's likely that that was sexually transmitted no. or to do with a sexually transmitted infection mm. whereas I think with women as I've already said I'm not going to no. rehash it but the chances are with women it's less likely to have been that it can be other things that cause that right then well that's that one I wanted to throw in I just wanted to check this one I wanted chlamydia chlamydia and purely Se- because second favourite this one sec- there isn't I, I've got to start by saying I couldn't find a definitive reference to chlamydia which is not surprising however one of the side effects of it as I understand it one of the consequences of it is sterility yes and there's plenty of mention of that in antiquity now that could be caused by a number of things I imagine however chlamydia would would possibly be one of them so with chlamydia what can you give us a a brief overview of it where what what chlamydia is and how it functions chlamydia is a bacterial infection again similar to syphilis in some ways um it was confused with syphilis at points and Mm. i will talk about why that is in a moment the bacteria that causes chlamydia is called chlamydia trachomatis which is it's quite a nice name and there are different types of chlamydia um they're they're broken down into things called serotypes i'm not going to go into what serotypes are but serotypes d to k are the ones that cause sexually transmitted infections in the genitals um we've also got types a b and c which cause eye infections and then there are types l1 l2 and l3 which cause something called lymphogranulomalar venarium which sounds sexually transmitted um i'm not going to go into that either but that's the thing that looks like syphilis that's mm. the condition so it is caused by a chlamydial bacteria but it's not chlamydia as we know it again as with the other bacterial infections we've looked at that are sexually transmitted, it occur, they, the bacteria enter through minute abrasions in mucosal surfaces. It's sexually transmitted, and again, it can be transmitted vertically from mother to child. That can cause conjunctivitis in, in a baby, and also something called interstitial pneumonitis, which is very rare, so we're not going to go too much into that. Complications in men are urethritis, mm. which we've talked about, epididymitis, and conjunctivitis. So chlamydia can go in the eye. Mm. Um, we won't talk about how that happens. There well, is... Weirdly enough, you, you go, but eye diseases, <laughs> well, we were going to do this bit on surgery, eye diseases were really big in antiquity. I didn't realise just how much of a thing eye disease was. Absolutely, and we'll talk about that when we do that one, yeah. but the, the things they did with eyes, yeah, we won't go amazing. There. Not now. Um, there is a systemic spread that can cause something called Reuter's syndrome in men. Um, I don't know a lot about that, though, so that's something I'd have to come back on. But the complications in women are worse. Mm. As Jeremy and Peep Show, for any of your Peep Show fans out there, said about chlamydia, it's basically symptomless. It is, and it's not too bad for men on the on the whole. Whereas with women, women can get urethritis, they can get cervicitis, which is the swelling of the cervix, which I can't imagine is very pleasant. Lots of other itis, including the conjunctivitis, but it can cause quite nasty complications, and these aren't infrequent either. It's not rare ectopic pregnancies, infertility. It can damage the liver and cause pelvic inflammatory disease, which we've talked about before as well. So it is quite a damaging 
disease chlamydia it's not very nice at all by no standards well none of these are really fun but even even less so chlamydia and, well, and i think the thing about chlamydia that that is so i always talk about diseases being clever and i don't mean it to is the fact that it doesn't have many symptoms no. that are immediately obvious so it, the infection is likely to remain and the longer it remains the more likely it is to have complications and so it is more likely i think if we're looking at infertility in in women chlamydia was and mm. still can be if it's not been treated a bigger issue no than gonorrhea just because of the symptomless stuff you know if you've got gonorrhea you will whether you're a male <laughs> you, or a woman you'll, you, you'll probably know you will know mm. with chlamydia you're less likely to know and it is a, a silent disease well, thanks for thanks for thanks for chlamydia <laughs> next up uh, br- very briefly uh, genital warts genital warts are really really interesting they're caused by something called the human papillomavirus hpv which a lot of you've heard of and there are about 120 types of hpv um, and the majority of them don't really do very much, but types 16 and 18 are associated with cervical cancer. And anyone who's got any young children out there will know, well, I say young, sort of school age children will know that there's a, a vaccine for HPV, for those strains of HPV now. But not all HPV strains cause genital warts. The main strains that cause genital warts are strains 6 and 11. Um, and apparently they are low risk for cancer mm. as well, which is quite good to know. And they're also associated with mouth and throat cancer. Oh. Um, so this is a sexually transmitted infection that can go on to become a disease because it can cause cancer several places. And also it isn't symptomless, but in your mouth and your throat, it can just sit there for a long time without causing symptoms. But in terms of the genital region, I, I, was, I obviously did reading the sources, had a look around. I couldn't find many specific references to them. I think there was uh, a mention in, I think it was Hippocrates, saying about uh, fungal growths around the, around the genitals. The Roman, there's there's some disagreement in, in some of the sources where it's referenced as figs, nicknamed figs. Well, the interesting thing you say about fungal growths is that the warts don't look like the sorts of warts you might see on your skin. Right. They look like, and they have are called termed medically if you look on the nhs website for example they talk about a cauliflower sorry a cauliflower like appearance on the genitals or the or the anal region and so that does look a bit mushroomy oh, perhaps yeah that's a bit fig like i've seen it referenced and there was a, there wasn't i've seen it referenced in one instance i think it was a marsh one of the epigrams by marshall and he references uh the figs but it's unsure whether they're piles in some translations, I've seen it referenced that oh, that's, that means piles. In mm. others, genital warts. And uh, perhaps there was a general... Again, we don't have... If you don't have a specific term for something, it might be that it was just a general catch-all term for anything that was in that area of the body. Well, genital warts are quite common in the in the, um, in the anal region as well. well now, <laughs> up, up next is the final one we're going to look at. Uh, I, re- I spoke about it earlier. I mentioned it earlier. Really, it's syphilis. When I went and started doing my reading, I saw it. There's lots of debate as to whether or not syphilis existed in antiquity or whether or not it, it was something that only existed after Columbus came back from the New World. I'm going to avoid that argument. Probably the best or the most agreeable point or conclusion that I read stated that there were lots of possibly similar diseases in antiquity to syphilis or would have presented themselves in a slightly similar manner and or a type of disease that was brought over for, by, by Columbus or brought over from, from the New World was allowed to in some way develop in a new ecological niche. The argument I read was that 
there was a sort of downgraded version of syphilis, if, if you can imagine that. And it, when, it, when it hit Europe, when it was brought to Europe, it was able to go right the way through Europe simply because there was no resistance to it. And also it, was, it had a different ecological niche because of the, the ecological niche it had, because you had population density, mm. you had particular opportunities and, uh, I keep saying, yeah, ecological drivers develop in a particular way that it hadn't had the opportunity to elsewhere. You've got some people who say, oh, we found a skeleton and this has definitely got marks on the bones which would indicate syphilis and this predates Columbus. You've got other people that say, well, actually, that doesn't. Point is, we ha- don't have that smoking gun. There's well, not. The interesting the- thing is about that is that I was saying that the um, lymphogranomula venarium, which the chlamydia bacteria causes, is something that has consistently been confused with syphilis. So there's also yeah. that that possibility as well. If I can just talk a little bit about syphilis before yeah. we stop. Um, it's a bacteria, again. Mm. Most of them are bacteria. As I've said we've talked about the viral ones, but the more interesting ones are the bacterial ones, in my opinion. Um, it's called Treponema pallidum, which is quite a nice little name. And again, enters the body through minute abrasions in skin or mucosal membranes, requires close personal pro- contact, usually sexual. Now, the vertical spread is interesting because generally the vertical spread we've talked about before from mother to baby is down to the movement of the baby down the birth canal. Mm. But syphilis, the syphilis bacteria, can actually go across the placenta, which is, I find that fascinating. It's very devious. And that can affect the fetus, which can cause all kinds of horrible mm. things. There are three stages, and saying about how it's similar to other things, the first stage is the genital lesion post-infection on the site of the infection. So, it's a, But the difference is it's a round, firm and painless lesion. Right. So it's not like an ulcer. But if you think about it, if you've got a lesion on your penis and for some reason, or on your vagina, vulva sorry and for some reason it gets knocked off that may look like an ulcer so yeah. it could look like something else um and if it wasn't causing you pain in antiquity would you would you register it exactly it might just look like you something think, oh, oh, something weird yeah. going on here then the secondary stage is skin rashes swollen lymph nodes and fever again that could be anything yeah that's probably something that happens i mean it happens a lot to little again little children but anyone with a lower immune system those kinds of things happen all the Mm. time so that wouldn't necessarily notice itself then there's a latent phase and the latent phase is is quite clever because generally it's viruses that have a latent phase like this generally viruses can have a latent phase that that can last decades Mm. but syphilis can last its latent phase from three to 30 years wow which is a really really long time now during that time what it's doing is it's kind of bedding into it's not causing symptoms but it is bedding in and the the tertiary stage is severe medical problems so heart brain and other organs get damaged damage to blood vessels spreads and spread to the eye or the nervous system and um, something called neurosyphilis which i think is the thing that people always think that henry the eighth had but he didn't wasn't that the case yeah well, i was going to say henry the eighth was is one of these chaps distinctly outside of my uh, field of knowledge from what i do know that that he is the person who's linked with having um, some sort of syphilis but there is this link of with syphilis and excuse the terribly ableist term of madness. But it, neurosyphilis is just where your your neurological system, so your brain and your nerves, are effectively damaged very badly by by the syphilis bacteria. Yeah. So it, that is something. All the others they can sit around and okay, they can make you infertile, and that's not very nice. But you can carry on with a normal life. And, and you think about it: if you're someone who is if you're someone who becomes sexually active in antiquity and say you're 16, for example, 
uh, you're a chappy 16 to become sex- sexually active and in your first year of being sexually active you you contracted syphilis now let's just pretend that it, that it was in existence in antiquity and you missed the first few phases the latent f- you might be dead the, there's a strong yeah. chance you wouldn't be alive to see the latent phase and if you do who's going to put it in the, t- oh, yeah. the tertiary phase the, sorry the tertiary phase who's going to say oh yeah by the way 30 years ago I had no one's going to put two. Yeah, there's no, there's no link there at all. But I just, I find it quite interesting that out of all of them, that is the one that that manage, If you'd asked me at the beginning, which sexually transmitted infection is going to have this interesting latent phase and then cause neurological damage, I would assume it'd be a virus because that seems more how a virus would act. And but, but it's not syphilis. No. So well, it's a cheeky bacteria there. Cheeky indeed. Do you know why syphilis is called syphilis? I do not. Tell me. Well, just as well <laughs> I know. Uh, apparently, in in around 1530. Geralamo Fracastoro, Fracastoro, Fracastoro wrote a poem, uh, and he's featured a, a shepherd called Syphilis. <laughs> oh, um, now, when a, dra- a drought uh, affected his land, he was very, uh, r- very rude to to the sun god, who then sent a plague, and that is where apparently the term Syphilis. Obviously, in the 16th century, if you didn't know this, it wasn't really. It, it was called that if you were. English, I think, it was a Spanish disease. If you're Spanish or Italian, you call it a French disease. It, it wasn't syphilis. Is a, is a very much a, a more modern term or more modern use of uh, definition of, of the disease itself. Because I, I looked at this and I, I, I'm not going to claim credit on this one. I did read it somewhere else, but couldn't <laughs> find exactly where where the citation was. There was a a myth of Niobe, who in Greek myth insulted Apollo and Artemis because she had so many kids and she basically just boasted a lot about how that she should be worshipped rather than these two. Never a good idea to do. No. Never a good idea. And they both hunted down the kids and killed them oh, with, nice. the, with their arrows. Wow. And, uh, presumably some sort of plague or illness. Anyway, when Naobi ran away, she, she scarpered and uh, ended up on Mount Spell, S-I-P-Y-L-U-S, so Sipilus, Mount Sipilus, where she was turned to stone. And it's possible you've got Two themes there of blasphemy and punishment. You can argue that blasphemy and punishment happens a lot in in, uh, in ancient Greek myth, but you also do have the the corresponding words. And I do wonder, and it was suggested, not by me, uh, I would suggest if it was originally my idea, but it wasn't, whether or not this this 1530 poem had the character of of syphilis and it was a version of that mountain. Syphilis, it it kind of linked in there. So that's syphilis for you. I'm going to ask you a question. As if you're listening to this, and so far I've said all of the horrible things uh, if you, that could come out of your genitals. Um, or go into your genitals. Or go into your genitals. I just want you to think, what's the worst thing that can come out of your genitals? Because <laughs> up next we're going to look at contraception antiquity. And I'm going to start with a myth. So just have a think. What's the worst kind of thing that you could have coming out of your genitals? And it, it's a man in this instance. It's a king. When we come back, I'm going to tell you what the worst thing to come out of your genitals was in Greek myth. Thanks for coming back. I, I imagine there's fewer and fewer each time I go into a bit of a brief musical break. <laughs> I come back and the numbers are lower. We're down to the one or two now, so thanks for sticking with us. I did ask you before what you considered the worst thing that could come out of male genitalia were in ancient Greek myth. And that gives you a, a wide range of possible horrible things to come out. Uh, you might have be well, you might remember or know of King Minos, him of the Minotaur fame. No? Yes? Do you? 
Oh, you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, I was going to see if you you. I thought you were talking to our lovely listeners. Yes, I have. I have. Yeah. So you got uh, King Minus. He had the Minotaur. He his wife fell in love with the bull. Actually, and it's easily done. Now he had a big problem, or rather, his wife Pacifei had a huge problem because apparently King Minus. Uh, had uh, scorpions and serpents and the like in his semen, which... I'm shaking my head at that because I just can't... Uh, just the thought of... I mean, he must have had a massive it's, urethra it's for those Greek to come myth. out of there. <laughs> it's Greek Look, he had a labyrinth. He could have... It's Greek myth, okay? He could have it. <laughs> okay, Don't deny fine. him this pleasure. It's just this a strange, no, strange thing. Needless to... to say, this was giving the ladies that he was courting, as well as his uh, good lady wife... Quite a lot of problem, and she was not best pleased. No. So she decided that, look, you're, in short, you're not coming anywhere near me with that until <laughs> we get it sorted. And enter Procris, not literally, her friend. Okay. She invented or came up with the idea of the condom. She suggested using the bladder of a goat, uh, and lo and behold, Pacifei used that. She put it in herself. And this is what I don't quite understand, though, <laughs> is if the other stuff is entirely believable. They used it a couple of times, and then he was okay, and then he could have kids with her. So it was obviously a kind of maybe the goat bladder caught all the scorpions. Yeah, all and those dragons. damn scorpions. But in any case, it serves to point that contraception wasn't existent in antiquity. Perhaps not in the way that we consider it. I think it had very different objectives. I should add at this point that this was from Greek myth, a Greek myth that was that had come to us that dates to about sort of second century AD. So this might be retrospective. This isn't an old, old Greek myth that I'm aware of. I think this is written down or verbalised, as it were, in the 2nd century AD. So it might just have been reflecting practice of the time. So we'll talk about them briefly. But in any case, what it does do, it very much places contraception in the context of control of the woman. The woman was the one. It's a woman who comes up with the idea of it. And you know what? It's the woman's. She's got to sort that out. That's... Yeah. When I, when I read... The stuff that you gave me on, on contraception, I did think that it was an interesting one that it was very much placed on the woman. Everything was kind of the woman's fault. But I suppose the way they would have seen... Although they knew that sperm made babies, didn't they? So let's, let's say that the man did have some kind of input. But what I found interesting was that one of the texts you gave me, which yeah. I'm sure you'll you'll link to, called Doctors and Diseases, wasn't yeah. it? Talked about how... Um, abortion as birth control or infanticide as birth control was actually easier than the birth what we understand as birth control now which I, I found interesting in that way that I was a bit horrified not yeah, that, you know I'm, we're not, not going to go into the ethics of abortion or anything but the fact of having a baby and then killing it I don't, I don't think I, I'm not I'm not in complete agreement with that I oh, think okay. there are a number of options uh, open to, uh, to open to a man because that's simply the way it was um Anyone who's familiar with uh, the societies of ancient Greece will understand that as a, as a, as a bloke, you had a wide avenue. You, you had a, a sort of veritable buffet of options to you sexually. And someone called Soranus? Oh, Soranus, yeah. Soranus, Sir Anus. Yeah. That goes, sounds more like the stuff we were talking about earlier. Possibly. Said it's safer to prevent conception from taking place than to destroy the fetus. Mm. So perhaps I, I did understand um, misunderstand it. The idea, the idea was in ancient Greek society, again, this is a huge generalisation, so take it with all the salt that you can. Generally speaking, your wife was there for, um, I suppose you could say rightful heirs or citizen children, and anything else went, uh, uh, anything else went with other, other people 
uh, that could be men, that could be women. And uh, I, I, th- no I think contraception of... was contraception was very much an option of stopping, uh, sort of limiting birth control in a particular way. And by that, I mean demographically. Because, say, for example, I'm a, a middle, if you'd call it middle class Athenian. I've got two sons. Now, it's very difficult to know whether or not you want to throw your lot in to get a third. You, you can have a third son. May not be a son, might be a daughter. You, Imagine. Horror. A woman. <laughs> uh, you might end up, uh, you, your wife might not be particularly keen on it because she's rolled the die twice and survived. Yeah. So she might not, you might not be because lo and behold, you might actually really love your wife and think, I don't really want someone to go through with this. And this is, this is a, I'd say an issue, but it was a decision to be made because upon your inheritance, upon you leaving, you've got a th- halving to thirding. Mm. What what you've got, and then I, I do remember many years ago reading about that. And I I don't think that that was a particularly dynamic driver in terms of decisions, but I do think it was in the background humming away somewhere. That's understandable. So there were other options that you could pursue, which didn't involve you either being with your wife. It didn't involve you having sex in a way where a child might be conceived. Uh, all of these things happen, but we I think that's more a more a discussion for another time because I wanted to just briefly look at the sorts of contraceptive methods that were put in place, say between a man and a woman who do want kids who might have a relationship where children could be an outcome and where they would uh, employ a particular technique to avoid that being an outcome. Can I just add a disclaimer here because I want to say that none of these are things you should be doing. Oh God, no, no. But let's look at the things that might have happened back in the day, or certainly were. We've got some uh, papyrus, uh, again, the Ebers papyrus, and this uh, gives the idea of honey, acacia leaves and lint to be placed in the vagina. Well, that's quite interesting, because honey has a way, apparently, of, if you get the right consistency of it, it can block the cervix, trap sperm, but isn't, and isn't... then stop them going through. There's a thing called a honey cap, which some people use. Now, I don't know, I can see potentially how that might work in a theoretical sense but again in reality I don't think it would well I I think I should refer I did one of my earlier podcasts where I speak at 90 miles an hour I do I still apologize for that I did it on honey and bees in antiquity and honey was very much used as a I suppose a a miracle cure for pretty much everything Mm. it was used a lot on the body uh, for for wounds it was used it had a lot of medicinal purposes one I don't know if there's any kind of spermicidal properties that honey might have um no not as far as i could find and also putting honey up yourself as a woman you're very much likely to give yourself thrush because it will completely (laughs) imbalance all your healthy bacteria down there but yeah i did read some things about a honey cap a lot of the methods we were looking at looked like a a cap for the cervix talking about clogging up or plugging up the cervix i mean that's how a diaphragm works i suppose but yeah. So I suppose what they're trying to do is there's a basic mechanic being employed. Yeah, they've here. got an idea. I mean, they had they had um, speculums back in the day. I think they they invented the speculum, which is a way of, of opening. Mm. So you can see the cervix. They obviously had an idea that sperm went into the cervix and then this did whatever it did. So they they were looking at ways of either slowing the seed down mm. or stopping the seed from getting in there. And I, I'd like to point out about a couple that that I read that I found quite remarkable in terms of not letting the seed get in there okay a woman must hold her breath and draw herself away in a little just before the man is about to discharge his seed so it is not hurled too deep into the uterus okay 
Um, I don't know why she needs to hold her breath. Also, that an... that's kind of coitus interruptus to an extent. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm getting from that is don't let the man ejaculate inside the woman. Mm. But And then the other one that I really liked in a kind of, I read this and I couldn't stop laughing for about five minutes afterwards, was after sex, squat, induce sneezing, wipe the vagina all around and drink something cold. <laughs> I, I I just imagine this, the romance. The romance is dead if you're doing that, really, isn't it? Do you think this was... Uh... This is in, invented and put about by men purely to stop after coital chat. Possibly. It was a kind of like, oh, I've got to get out of here. How can I get How can I get away? I know. I'll get her to sort of go and dance around and sneeze for a bit. <laughs> I mean, one of them was, was interesting in terms of so avoid intercourse at periods that were suitable for conception. So they had some kind of idea that there yeah. were points in the month where women are mm. more or less likely to get pregnant. I mean, I was quite fascinated with how well... Up in part, they understood how women work, but then in other parts, they thought the uterus sort of ran around the body, making us a bit crazy. And you're saying it doesn't? <laughs> nope, it stays where it is. It's our hormones that run about our body, making us crazy. But it's not just women that hormones make crazy; it's men as well. So, um, my favourite though. Yeah. Sorry to overtake this. Was apparently a hairy spider amulet would stop. Oh yeah, uh, and I want the... a hairy spider amulet this is, for this Christmas. This was Pliny's, wasn't it? This was Pl- <laughs> I think this is Pliny the Elder, who decided that. Uh, amulet and it, we really haven't mentioned amulets much but there was uh healing was in many instances couched within the worship of particular gods so there was as a magical quality amulets were quite popular for diseases and when i've when i've read again some source material you look and and, it, and you see that uh, particular amulets particular rites or rituals might help a condition uh, I didn't know about the, the hairy spider, just... Uh, but if anyone out there has a hairy spider amulet and would like to send it to me, please get in contact and I shall um, accept it gladly as a Christmas present. Yeah, but you're <laughs> going to get some really odd stuff, odd stuff uh, with that, with that request. There was, some, was there something with um, involved lead? White there lead. was, there was. I mean, I had a look and... <laughs> it's horrible. They had white lead and alum. So yeah, alum was used um, with white lead, apparently. And so I looked it up, and alum is something that I think isn't spermicidal. It would be more used as a cervical plug. It has like a drying effect, apparently. It reduces irritation. It can be used to stop bleeding as well. So I wonder whether it was something that was just kind of bunged up there. Although the book that you gave me did... Sorry, bunged up there. Spray. Yeah, exactly. That's the official term. I did read something that alum can have spermicidal properties, but that's not necessarily something that they'd mention on Mm. the internet. And white lead um, is a complex salt, so I was thinking that potentially that could act as that could a salt could be spermicidal as well in terms of drawing out water, potentially. But I just think putting lead on your cervix is is a bad idea. I'm, I'm not a doctor, and I have no medical training. Even I realise that lead plus cervix equals bad. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I saw was that acidic juices are spermicidal. That does seem to be something. I saw a couple of medical papers about that, and they weren't saying use lemon juice to kill sperm, but they were saying that lemon juice can kill sperm in right. a in a, um, a laboratory setting. We are we should we should double uh, double je- just double check on this. We are not advocating on any way any of these. No. We're just reporting what was what occurred. And Everyone now knows where they can go if they want to look up and understand uh, contraception a bit better. And I just want to say as well that with all of these methods we looked at, um, sexually transmitted infections yeah, that was, that was, would not have been prevented by anything that we've that mentioned That was um, very much, they were very much driven by the pregnancy as an outcome. 
that that was the contraception because I, I had a I had a look and I one of the I won't call it an urban myth, but one of the contraceptions the or contraceptives that are referred to are sort of condoms or pseudo condoms as you mm. might might understand them to be. I, I read about uh, Romans using animal intestines and all sorts. That's a definite common myth because I've heard about that. Yeah, I, I couldn't really find anything to, to substantiate that. It might be that it was undertaken perhaps on a small number of people perhaps they tried if you have if you can find reference to it tweet me i'll be interested to see but i don't think it was it has been identified as a viable uh, contraceptive option simply because firstly and again huge generalization uh, men are just lazy and if they've been told full stop don't worry about it because it's the woman's problem and they can use white lead and uh, sneeze. Well, it's not even being told, is it? It's, it's growing up in a society where getting pregnant, if it happens, is just well, it's tough for the woman. And if you're a man out in town, you're a Roman out in town, you've got your hairy spider amulet, you're good to go. I think the hairy spider amulet was something that the woman had. Well, perhaps he just gave it to her. So there we go. <laughs> Again, um, romance. Yeah, we go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We should have done this in February. We should have done this as a Valentine's Day one. Anyway. <laughs> right, so there we are. I think we've covered pretty much everything in terms of what we were going to cover. I hope you enjoyed this again. I want to say thanks very much for Emma. I know you're going to talk about, because I've spoken about some of the sources that I've used. And one of the books that you referred to that I, I lent you to look at was Doctors and Diseases in the Roman Empire by Ralph Jackson. It's a very good book. It's really interesting. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of lot of content in there. Um, so if you want to read that or you're interested in learning a bit more, it does. It goes into a lot more about Roman surgery. It goes into a number of different topics, but there is a whole section, I think, on on sort of gynecological things. Yeah, contraception and yeah. stuff like that. And I used mostly um, my trusty MIMS medical microbiology book, fifth edition. Anyone who's done any kind of microbiology or human biology or anything to do with diseases at all, university level will have heard of that but it's it's very good and also if you are interested in looking up about more about stis i would recommend the cdc um, website or the who website or if you're or the nhs website they're all they're all quite quite interesting right so anyway thanks again for listening i just want to say thanks to emma uh, thank you i will imagine we've still got to cover some aspects of roman surgery which we're going to look at and the how unhygienic uh, Roman baths were. Oh, it's so interesting as well. I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I imagine what we'll do at some point in the new year, we'll sit down and work out when we can do those and look at those. I don't think we'll have anything out, or, or rather, I don't think I'll be producing anything in terms of content on my podcast until the new year, simply because I've seen the way December looks and it's busy. And believe it or not, this does take quite a time to do. If you are listening to this and you're listening to it on iTunes, it would be really, really nice if you just gave me five stars even if you hated this because Santa is watching and it's nice to get some positive feedback because you spend a lot of time researching and you're putting this all together uh, quite rightly I don't earn anything for it <laughs> there's uh, no Patreon shout out just no yet. there's nothing like that and I like to keep it'll be really good to get some nice positive feedback constructive feedback as well if you do think there are areas I can improve and if there are topics you would like to hear about then please do uh, just tweet me like I said uh, ancientblogger.com is my website twitter at ancientblogger um, come and say hi and if I do not interact with you uh, which I don't think I will do before 2018 I hope you keep well keep safe have a great 
Christmas festival, whatever it is. And great holiday time. Yeah, have a great holiday time. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. And before we go, um, I just want to point out, if you listen to my speaking on the horror Halloween podcasts I mentioned a Instagram which I no longer have so don't try and if you, if you think you've typed something wrong or, or one of you who might have bothered having a look don't look anymore because it's not there because I've, I've disappeared from social media so I can focus on telling people about STIs on the run anyway thanks again <laughs> for listening take care and we'll see you again soon or you'll hear from us again soon bye bye Infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me!